Online, welcome to Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you so much for joining me this Thursday evening. Coming up in today's edition of Catholic View, being a Thursday, we bring you our woman feature and we'll be chatting to Essay's Biker Queen. But first, a quick look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay tuned. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. And in your headlines this Thursday evening, Catholicism spreads in Africa. Continent celebrates Africa Day with the official launch of African Union Agenda 2063. And the Catholic NGO commands new WHO Director General. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. Catholicism in Africa is spreading at a faster rate than in the rest of the world. Throughout the world, Catholicism has grown from 1.272 billion in 2014 to 1.285 in 2015, representing almost 18% of the human population. This increase was significantly noticed in Africa, where 19.4% of Africans are Catholics. Other statistics show that the violence levels are also increasing. From 2015 to 2016, the murder rate increased by 4.9% and the assault numbers rose by 1.7%. Now movements like Catholic Action are trying to reach African citizens through peace. Father Salvatore is the coordinator of Catholic Action Africa. We are doing something for the good of the people, for the good of the people. Above all, our bishops invite everyone at every moment. They especially invite politicians to help solve the problems we have through dialogue and not with violence. According to Father Paulus Zulu, a researcher at the University of Natal in South Africa, to minister to everyone on the continent, the Church also needs help from existing Catholics to simmer the conflicts and violence that exists. I think the Church is just one of the organs that could help. I mean, the problem is much, much bigger, to be honest. The, the problem of underdevelopment which is, in a sense, a product of human engineering in the case of Africa, is big. And it does not only need the church alone. The church can be one of the players. However, the church also has a very huge audience. In other words, empowering the ordinary person, the ordinary parishioner, is part of the church's program. Underdevelopment is only one of the major problems in Africa. Many issues stemming from racism or disagreements on the refugee situation are being approached with violence. Hence, the future of the Catholic Church and the future of peace rests not only with the current generation, but with the future ones. So says Father Salvatore, the coordinator of Catholic Action Africa. The problem is that 
The problem is that the youngsters who are impressionable enter into these problems and kill others, which leads to poverty issues. Then there are the problems with killing. After this, there are problems of lack of hope, especially for the young, because of a lack of work, and this is a very serious problem. While these problems are in the process of being solved, they are not stopping the African people from holding on to faith. The Democratic Republic of Congo is more than 43% Catholic, and other countries in Africa are also witnessing a surplus of priestly vocations and growing rate of Catholics. Into other African news, 25th May marks Africa Day. The day represents an opportunity for South Africans to reconnect and recommit themselves in support of all government interventions to develop a better Africa and a better world. Africa Day is promoted by the African Union AU. This year, 2017, the African Union highlights the theme harnessing the demographic dividend through investments in youth. According to the African Union's vision captured in the Africa We Want Agenda 2063, the image being projected by the AU is that of a continent marching towards an Africa whose development is people-driven, relying on the potential of African people, especially its women, youth and caring for children. The official launch of the African Union's Agenda 2063 took place in Cape Town and it was hosted by the South African Minister of Foreign Affairs. Meanwhile, President Zuma also delivered a keynote address in Pretoria in honor of Africa Day. Conflict in Central Democratic Republic of the Congo DRC has put an additional 400,000 children at risk of severe acute malnutrition, the UN warned on Wednesday. According to UNICEF, the UN's Children's Fund, more than a third of health centers in central Kasai province have closed amid an escalation in violence between government troops and opposition militia that erupted last August. The priority is now to reach these children urgently and overcome major access problems. UNICEF's Patrick Rose explains. Well, we know that this is one of the most vulnerable areas in, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, that even before the violence in the Kasai region, that there was a baseline of access to services and a baseline of children who were suffering from severe acute malnutrition. What we see now as this kind of crisis intensified is that we have 400,000 children who are going to face severe acute malnutrition this year. And what we also know is that about one-third of the health centers have been either destroyed or looted, and an even greater number is no longer functional because staff are afraid to come to work or there's not enough medication or there's not enough supplies. And you say that the nutrition situation is particularly concerning because farming is very difficult because of these ongoing clashes. Yeah, we know that about 1.5 million children are affected by this violence. 600,000 children are, have been displaced. Now you can you know, do the math there. Those are families that are running for their lives because terrified of different sort of armed clashes between security forces and, and rebel groups. And oftentimes those rebel groups do involve children who've been associated into those groups. And so it's a particularly sort of complicated and, 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 and quite vicious 
series of, of confrontations and rather unpredictable. Families are unwilling to kind of risk their lives going out to the field. They're unwilling to kind of really plant crops because they don't know how long they're going to be in that location. What we've seen over the last six months has been not just one displacement, but oftentimes two, three, four layers of displacement where a family will flee for their lives, set up in a community, in a host community, try to get onto their feet, but then there'll be a rumor of conflict coming closer, and so they flee again. Yeah, and this repeated displacement is really what makes people much more vulnerable, we often hear. I wonder, given the security problems and the lack of access, your priority must be to reach them, but how? This is a real concern, and certainly we're working closely with the government of the Democratic Republic of Congo and and sort of UNICEF teams are on the ground. We have two field offices that are fully functional and are really scaling up the response. We already have effectively multiple crises going on in, in this particular region. What we don't want to see is, is an outbreak of cholera. We don't want to see an outbreak of any sort of waterborne diseases. So these interventions are possible. It's extremely challenging. And this is, again, one of those areas where we as the United Nations can only sort of applaud our, the courage and commitment of our colleagues who are literally going into these situations where it is overwhelming. It is a dangerous environment, but they're doing it because Without this intervention, children are going to suffer. Yeah, but presumably to do that, you need funding. What does UNICEF need to address this latest challenge, nearly 400,000 children at risk of severe acute malnutrition? The Democratic Republic of Congo is certainly one of the biggest challenges globally for the world community, and it's often overlooked. It's UNICEF's biggest single country in terms of a UNICEF projects and responses. We still have a 25-year-old crisis in the East where there's people who are still displaced from the, the conflict in Rwanda and there's people who are displaced in the conflict that subsequently followed that. You have a baseline countrywide problem where there's 2.2 million children in the country who have severe acute malnutrition or who face severe acute malnutrition. But overall in the Kasai crisis, UNICEF is calling for 40 million dollars of support. Now, this is not just a part of the core programming. This is an additional sort of emergency fund that's going to need to be deployed. We're finding that the international community is starting to step up. There are donors who really are paying attention. And certainly the reason why we are putting out these kinds of messages is to sort of invite them and to say, look, work with us. We're going to have teams out there going across the rivers and literally into the, the hardest to reach areas to reach these children. But we do need the funding. Kuwam, Doctors with Africa, an Italian non-governmental organization, has expressed satisfaction with the election of Dr. Tedros Ghebreyesus as New World Health Organization, WHO Director General. On the eve of Africa Day, declared by Father Dante Carraro, the director of Kuwam, this appointment strongly highlights the centrality of Africa when it comes to the health of the world, said Father Dante. On Tuesday this week, member states of WHO elected Ethiopian national Dr. Tedros as its new director general. The Security Council needs to unite on a common strategy to advance the political process in South Sudan. Now that's according to the head of the UN peacekeeping mission in the country. David Scherer briefed council members on the security situation in Africa's youngest nation via a video link on Wednesday. Anno Carmo reports from UN News. The UN Special Representative for the Secretary-General in South Sudan, David Shearer, began his briefing to members of the Security Council with a weather report. 
The arrival of the rains might bring a respite to large-scale military maneuvers, he noted, but they also greatly complicate the UN's humanitarian response. Mr. Shearer, who is also head of UNMIS, welcomed President Salva Kiir's announcement of a unilateral ceasefire and pledged to review the cases of political prisoners. He further briefed the Council on efforts led by leaders in the region to advance peace in South Sudan, emphasizing their significant influence on the political process. I am encouraged to see member states of the region stepping up their engagement. It remains critical, however, that a coherent and unified regional approach in South Sudan is forthcoming. As I mentioned last month, it is imperative that the Council also unites on a common strategy to advance the political process in South Sudan. We acknowledge and thank you both individually and collectively for your support of UNMIS and of the humanitarian community who are overcoming immense difficulties to make a real difference to people's lives. But the unity of purpose, unity of purpose will send the best signal to South Sudan's political leaders to focus first and foremost on the plight of their citizens. The UN Special Envoy welcomed the government of South Sudan's effort to promote reconciliation through a national dialogue, but stressed the need for a genuine participation from the opposition in order for it to be credible. More than 30 migrants, mostly toddlers, drowned on Wednesday when about 200 people without life jackets fell from a boat into the sea off the Libyan coast before they could be helped into waiting rescue boats. Nathan Morley has more. Harrowing reports from Coast Guard officials say at least 34 migrants, most of them children, drowned on Wednesday as the Coast Guard tried to save hundreds of others who are packed into boats off the coast of Libya. One of a group of vessels listed suddenly sending around 200 people tumbling into the Mediterranean. The Coast Guard called in more ships to help with the rescue, saying around 1,700 people were packed into around 15 vessels. The United Nations' Justin Forsyth reports a five-fold increase in unaccompanied child migrants and refugees, many of them making these dangerous sea journeys. There's been this five-fold increase in refugee and migrant children travelling alone since 2010, and that's, in number terms, up from 66,000 to around um, 300,000 children travelling alone, uh, many of them teenagers, but some of them as young as 10, even 9, we know from our experience of working on the ground in North Africa, in Central America, in parts of Asia, um, in parts of Europe like Italy, Greece, Bulgaria, all of these different countries, that there are many children that aren't counted. And therefore the number of 300,000, which is this five-fold increase, is probably on the tip of, of, of an iceberg. In fact, more than 1,300 people have died this year on the world's most dangerous crossing for migrants, fleeing poverty and war across Africa and the Middle East. Many of them were children. In the past week alone, more than 7,000 migrants have been plucked from unsafe boats in international waters off the western coast of Libya, where people smugglers operate with impunity. And finally, a UN woman has launched a new flagship program to address the disproportionate way women and girls are exposed to risk during and in aftermath of disasters. Jocelyn Sambira has more. 
It was announced in Cancun, Mexico, on the margins of the fifth global platform for disaster risk reduction. More women than men contracted the Ebola virus or died from it during the 2016 outbreak in West Africa. The agency says because of their role as caregivers in their communities. Meanwhile, in Bangladesh, women and girls are unduly affected during monsoon season because many of them cannot swim or are unable to leave their homes due to cultural barriers. UN Women said women are the first responders when disaster strikes, and they have a good knowledge of the land and environmental resources. But their skills are underutilized. According to the UN, 445 million people were affected last year by natural disasters. And those were just some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and in the Catholic Church today. Thank you once again for joining me this Thursday evening. It's a Thursday, it's a Shayla's Day, and it's a Women Featured Day. And that's exactly what we'll be doing up next as we get to learn a little bit more about South Africa's biker queen. Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married. Because I am female, I am expected to aspire to marriage. I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage, and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist, a person who believes in the social, political, and economic equality of the sexes. Women on the Forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference. South Africa Bike Festival, a thrill to welcome their official brand ambassador, bike queen as she is well known, Sipi Mashuhani, has spent the past seven years of her nine riding years creating the bike queen brand, centered on the lifestyle of motorcycle riders. CP is an inspiration and motivation, as she is known to be one of the first South African black female riders in the country. Let's listen to her story. I've been riding now for about ten years, and how? But firstly, thank you for having me on air. How the Biker Queen's name came about is from riding the nine provinces in nine days, then nine provinces in eight days, then nine provinces in seven days, and I guess then the title stayed. And nobody's ever challenged it afterwards. Talk to us about this passion. How did this come about? How did it develop? Who inspired you? No, I mean, it was all by default, actually. Um, when I was younger, I used to cycle, and I cycled pro, um, liquid fruit, and back in the days. Uh, you know, with this way to cyclist. And uh, then one gets married, then one gets divorced, then one has life, and then you've got children. And you almost kind of forget 
life as you knew it when you were younger. And what then happened is that I then, you know, wanted to really just reconnect with self and um, started cycling again, which I then totally didn't like it. And But, you know, there's a freedom that happens with two-wheelers, regardless what two-wheelers it is. And um, so I then started thinking, okay, let me explore. And I started exploring, and I just bumped into riding, really. And uh, because of the cycling background, it just became very easy to just take to it. And, and I fell in love with it, and it became the thing that I do. Let, let me put it this way. So I get into biking 10 years ago, and the first thing I realized is that there aren't any black females riding. There's two at the time, but, you know, they, they, they hardly ride because the fraternity itself does not allow for black females, let alone females. Most of the females that we used to see back in the day were females that were pillions. So a pillion is a passenger, basically. And here I was um, riding very hard, and I was riding day, day after day, and I started, you know, I'm exploring with clubs out there. And the one thing I picked up was the brotherhood. The brotherhood aspect of what biking is, you know. It matters not what you ride. It matters not what color you are. It matters not... You know, it's just it's just one of those things that people, because you're a rider, you almost, you know, people take 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 time to actually just uh, love and 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 the patience to teach and to share their experiences. And I just thought, you know, this is something that is just it's, it's, people don't see it, and I wanted to go through with it and, and and take it somewhere else and actually invite more women onto it. And I think that you know. Except, uh, after that, I ended up uh, opening a bike school, which I've trained, I think, around about 200 females. And we've got now over 200 and odd females riding that are black at any given time in an event, in a place. Um, and the one in nine, basically, as well, that's, that's something that I fell in love with. That is me riding the nine provinces in nine days for charity. Um, that was to challenge myself, firstly. So it was about me challenging self. It was about me, um, you know, literally just pushing the boundaries. And here I was going city to city in nine days. The first one was very tough, and, and it, 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 it broke these, these boundaries. The second one was in eight days. The, the third one was in seven days. And, um, you know, for me, it was also that, that thing that says, you know, we, you, you are your own person. You can reach and achieve anything you fit your mind to. So biking has given me that. It's given me the confidence. It's given me the, you know, and, and there's, a, there's a freedom about biking. You know, the, the, the sense of just you being one with the world, uh, not enclosed in anything. We live in homes that are enclosed. We in cars that are enclosed. We, you know, but here's one thing that just, out there and you're able to just connect with 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 the world that's what it is beautiful beautiful stuff now i remember you mentioning um in life things happen so fast you grow up you have children you get married you get divorced talk to us about family life what's your family life like seeing that you love freedom (laughs) (laughs) look i've got i've got a very healthy family life i think that uh, more than anything is that people need to pursue their passions and that's that's basically what I'm about in my home. Um, I'm about, you know, being able to express self, and it's about being able to love. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's there's no manual. Right? That's that's one of my motives. There's no manual of parenting, uh, but you know, one needs to do the best that they can, and and allow their children and you yourself to to each other actually to experience each other. So my children understand that I'm a biker. 
they ride with me sometimes as my opinion. My daughter doesn't has not taken to it. It's not what she likes doing. However, my son can't wait to be 16 and start riding. Um, it's not something that's forced upon any uh, any of them, but it is a mode of transport. That's the first thing that people need to understand. Um, you know, and I find that people definitely just think that riding is a lifestyle only. No, no, no. There's a there's 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 a couple of uh, elements around riding. There's a lifestyle element, which is you know the big motors, the big um, chrome bike uh, stuff, the big uh, custom stuff. Um, that's a lifestyle thing. But there's the commuting aspect of it as well, which I think that in you know just South Africans have are not opening themselves to it. Um, so I'm going to make you an example. The freeways allow a 250 cc on the freeways. Okay, so. What that means is that at a tank of 110, you can literally travel a distance of about 45K for a week daily, back and forth from work. Now, I ask myself, why do people not take on biking as commuters? Why would people subject themselves to the traffic, that it, the, the congestion on the road? Um, you know, there's just... So riding, is a, it, it has a lot of things. So in my home, my children understand that it is not... Not necessarily. By the time you get to the lifestyle, there's all sorts of things. There's the there's the place element of it, which is the off road. There is the commuting element of it, which is the commuter bike. Then there is the the lifestyle element of it, which is the chrome big motors. So and then there's the super bike stuff, which is now you know the stuff that you take to track and you know that you let off the steam that way, or rather you've become one of those that just enjoy that type of sport. So 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 that's basically the message, and that's how I go around it at home. And I was about to ask you, seeing that we live in a country with so many accidents, road accidents, how have you managed to stay, what, 10 years um, doing this, riding on a bike in a country that we often hear of a, a rise of death tolls uh, due to road accidents? That's that. I'm very happy you asked me that question. You know, it's, it's one of the most saddest things about this country, um, about road users generally, and that those are drivers. And when I say drivers, talking about four-wheeler. Um, you know, the, the, the thing about people here is that people believe that the roads are just made for cars. And there is a perception we need to remove because the road is for everyone. It is for those on a motorbike. It is for those on a, on a, on a bicycle. It is for those that are pedestrian. And South Africans generally have an, a, are very impatient around any other person or any other form of mode of transport that is not a vehicle, okay? So now, you know, they, it is a very sad thing. I mean, we literally, we've got forums, and when I say forums, there's a, a lot of forums that are trying to actually convey this message to say to motorists, watch out for us, we are on the road, because almost on a day-to-day basis, we have an accident, and the accident is caused by someone who is either drinking and driving, or... Uh, putting on makeup, or reading in their car, or texting in their car. It's all negligence because people just believe that I saw the car next to me and I'm moving in the lane. And then the, the, the normal thing is that the biker came from nowhere. Nobody just comes from nowhere. This person has been on the road. This person has been with you on the road. And, and, and understanding that, you know, there's also this, the, the, the element of where people think that you're not meant, you're not allowed in the middle of the car. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's been a debate for a very long time that you are allowed to be there, just you need to be there very cautiously as a biker, but you are allowed. And just people don't use their blind spots. 
And what they're not understanding is that, you know, it is it is a hazard for us. It is it is a very big deal. We are losing bikers on a daily. Um, and it's all based on negligence, and I actually call it selfish behavior on the road. Um, and, yeah, so it's, it's that I could, I could speak to you for hours about <laughs> road safety and yeah. speak to you for hours about just, you know, the behavior of, of, of general, you know, road rage and the behavior of our people on the road. And I just think that they need to just, you know, let's start understanding that the road is for all. And it's not necessarily bikers, for all. Right? So once, you, once you understand that this road that I'm on is for everybody, yeah. myself, the driver, the, the bike, the biker, the cyclist, and the pedestrian, I think, will have a better, a, be, you know, a, better, a better road situation. You come across as a very strong and confident African woman. What would be your advice to women that are in abusive relationships? Sure. <laughs> Do you want to invite me into studio for this one? I would because love I, to. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no. I mean, um, you know, like you said, this has been a month where a lot has happened. And a lot has happened... Um, in that sphere, um, you know, and I just believe that I'd be doing injustice to this conversation if I even touched on it um, in a second. Do you understand what I mean? Um, I, I, I think that we need to talk more to our girls. I think that we need to talk more as women. I think that we need to embrace and talk more to the males. I think there's a lot that needs to happen that's not happening. There's communication that is not happening. There's behavioral things that we need to discuss. Um, you know, for me, it pains me to have to see, I mean, let's, let's, let's pick one of the ones that happened this month, where you have a Garabo who, her mother, you know, um, can never have peace because she could never, you know, is that just that, that tragic situation. Or the Cape Town story. For me, it's, like I said, this conversation here is, is one that I would really, really want for you to bring me into studio. And let's chat about it. And let's talk about it. Let's try... try a dialogue around ourselves as South Africans, mm-hmm. because that's what I think is missing. I think that people are just not talking. Yeah. And I think that it's become very, I mean, look, before even that, we, we, we are adopting cultures that are not South African. You know, there's the one thing that we all go about in that South Africans have Ubuntu, black, Indian, colored, you name it, green, blue, and Ubuntu is what we all talk about. And it's one thing that we all, we all have, right? But we started adopting the international things whereby people stand and watch and videotape incidences where a guy is most probably slapping a woman or a woman is slapping a guy or a, a tragic situation. For me, if we are starting to do that, we are diluting just that one thing that makes us that nation of Ubuntu because Ubuntu on its own does not allow for that. So like I said, this conversation here... It's not a conversation that we touch on briefly. It's a conversation yeah. that speaks that we need to speak to each other and actually remind each other of who we are, what, the, what it means to be South African. Mm-hmm. Not what it means to be South African in a certain, uh, you know, in, 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 in a race. No, yeah. like, you know, I'm, as a black South African or a white South African. No, just being mere South African. There's a principle of what we are and who we are. And that is the essence that we are losing. And this is why we are having the things that we are having. Well, I guess at the end of the tunnel, there's always a light that shines through, and that's the SA Bike Festival coming up this weekend. That's something exciting. Besides the fact that we're celebrating Africa Day today, there's something very exciting coming up this weekend as well, which is the SA Bike Festival. How excited are you about this day, and what will you be doing? 
I've been fortunate that um, the, SA, the South African Bike Festival has picked me as a um, official bank uh, ambassador. Um, you know, when one um, is biker queen or when one has worked as hard as I have around the, the biking fraternity trying to get, uh, you know, um, get people, you know, just people to talk, the, 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 the road safety issues, the gender issues, the race issue, and just to almost just say this is a sport and it's for everybody. Um, this becomes one of those things that, you know, when 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 an international festival of this nature and it's this big recognizes you and is able to say, you know, you are the brand ambassador, it's a very big deal. And I, I, I really, really, I, I, I feel honored and I'm grateful for it. Uh, so, you know, this is an event that I would say that you need to attend at least once. It's a three-day uh, event. Um, you know, it is. Um, it, it, it starts on the 26th of May to the 28th of May at Kaya Lamy um, GP Circuit. And, um, yeah, it, 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 it's a must-see. I mean, um, I can take you through the entire, the entire program. Um, I think that, you know, it is, it's one of those that if you're, if you're um, a fan of riding, if you're a fan of, of motorbikes, if you want to experience the, 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 the motorbike in, uh, world, this is one place that you can do so. This is one place where you can actually go for lessons and, you know, be taken around the track. This is one place where you will be, um, you can actually test ride and, and test ride a new 2017 model. This is the, is, is that, is that, is that, is that environment that they've created. Before I let you go, Biker Queen, what is your favorite bike and what bike are you riding right now? Right now, I'm riding a Honda VT1300. That's a chopper look. Um, I'm enjoying it fully. Uh, I've been on this bike now for six years. And um, then I also own a Ducati 1098S. Um, I enjoy that fully. I'm yet to have a favorite. <laughs> I'm yet to have a favorite. And I'll tell you what, look, I've, I've test driven most of these bikes. And I do a lot of reviews around biking. Every bike has its own character. I don't know if you understand. It's like, it's like almost having to pick from your friends and say, which one is my best friend? <laughs> Everyone has a character of its own, you know? Yeah. And if I'm, I'm on a certain bike, I actually think like, that's the one. This one is the one until I get on a nine. <laughs> So I'm yet to get to that point where I actually pick and I, 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 I stick to something. I say, this is, this is it. I'm yet to get there. No, I certainly want to be like you when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. It's been lovely chatting to you. All of the best for this weekend. I can't wait to see you and uh, experience the whole event throughout the weekend. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. And, you know, yeah, I also am looking forward to everybody coming through. Pictures everywhere. There's every every racer, myself, every ambassador. We all open. There's, there's there's photo opportunities that will be out there, and lots of competitions. I mean, when I say lots of competitions, I mean like extremely madness. There's like <laughs> two bikes that are given, being given off. There's like watches to be given off. Oh there's like there's, there's apparel to be given off. There is, I mean, uh, goodness, I can go on today. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no, yes. I'm definitely there. I'm definitely <laughs> there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so yes. much. Have Very fun, nice. eh? Thank you. All right. Okay. Ciao, ciao. Bye.
And my thanks goes there once again to CP Mashuhani, our own biker queen, South African biker queen, and also the official brand ambassador for the South African Bike Festival, which is taking place this weekend. That brings me up to time. You've been listening to Catholic View on this Thursday evening, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pirsch for Radio Veritas. I'll be back again tomorrow at the same time. Thank you so much for listening. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pirsch.